And it, uh, it tells me, you know, if the baby, what fruit or vegetable it's most like. And this week it's closest to a spaghetti squash. And then it also mentioned that it's close in length to a row of Oreos in an Oreo tray. And I like that a lot better because it's not a fruit or vegetable and I know what it looks like. <laughs> like a spaghetti squash. Um, and, but anyways, one thing that was interesting was telling me so we're having a little girl. Well, the internet didn't tell me that. The doctor did. But um, one thing it told me about the little girl is that she already has, her reproductive system is completely formed. So she already has, you know, her two ovaries, you guys went from biology, her uterus, and all the eggs she'll ever have her whole life are already formed and inside her little body. So you guys are really privileged because you have, like, four sets of ovaries and two uteruses and lots of hormones kind of coming at you tonight. And uh, I think, and then you add that on top of the Holy Spirit, and you know, it's a party over at our house, I'll just tell you that. Um, so I have a really, I have a pretty strong personality, for those of you that might know me. And um, Eric and I are both very extroverted people, but I think that sometimes um, I make Eric nervous when I'm at a friend who doesn't have a mic because one difference of the many differences between us is that I really struggle in censoring myself and I just do and I'm working on it, God's working on it, but I still do. I really struggle censoring myself and I think it's a combination of, I grew up in a family where you had to be really loud and dramatic um, to get anybody's attention and so it kind of was a pattern to serve those young. And then I think a huge part of it is what I do for my profession. And I'm an equine veterinarian, which for those of you that use the translation means I'm a horse doctor. And all day long, I have a really fun job of driving around to people's homes, barns, fairgrounds, sometimes even the circus, and dealing with horses or anything in the equine family. So mainly horses, but I also get donkeys, mules, miniature horses, and then you know, some things outside the equine family. And a lot of my work involves, and I never really thought about this when I went to school, but a lot of it involves entering the orifices of these animals. And all day long, my body parts are inside the bodies of these animals. Because they can't tell me what's wrong. So I've got to like get in there, find out. And so frequently, like I'm up to my shoulder and a rectum. I'm like teaching some little old lady how to properly care for a horse's penis and like teaching it and like it's just part of my daily job. It's part of my profession. And what happens is that I'm kind of really used to it. Like I deal with giant genitalia as part of my living. And I and uh and so like rectal exams and surgeries on genitalia, they're all part of my regular routine. And so I kind of consider myself, I am an expert on that anatomy. And it gives me lots of stories because horses tend to have a lot of problems in these areas and clients obviously tend to get very agitated when there's problems in these areas. I had this one client, she took her horse up to the Pacific Northwest and he wasn't used to it. It was, you know, it's warm here in California. I think they were up near the Canadian border and it snowed and he was outside and he seriously got frostbite on his penis. And the client didn't know what to do. 
and because he couldn't like care for it, he doesn't he has his four hooves, you know, so he couldn't care. So she brings it back to California with a tube sock on it, and by the time she brings it down, the tube sock has like become permanently part of his appendage. And you like look at this, and you have this mix like I feel sorry for the animal, but I'm like trying not to laugh, but like this is like really weird, like. What color was the tube sock originally? Like, you know, and you know, and uh, like it just like these are like the daily things. Like last week, it was so funny. I was actually thinking about it this morning. I was brushing my teeth that I do a lot of castrations, and uh, I do that all the time. I think it's interesting. Just me, me by myself, you know. And I do. Can just listen to the irony of this. I do it was like. Astounded by the irony, I do a ton of castrations for the Catholic Church, and I have, which is really ironic to me because if you guys know about Catholicism, they don't believe in birth control, yet they certainly believe in it for animals. I'll tell you that much. Because last week I was at a little Catholic church in uh, Clarksburg, and Father Madigan, the church owns multiple miniature horses. And what they do, they use them to prepare their live nativity every Christmas. And whenever he needs like an extra offering, he says he like marches them down the sanctuary, you know, and help the horses, you know, and everyone just puts more money in. So he decided it's time for his little horses to get their testicles cut off. And so I show up, Father Madigan's there, and I'm like, hey, what are we going to do? And he's like, well, you know, let's do it right on, we did it right on the front lawn of the church sanctuary. And so people are walking in to like go to confession and do this stuff. And I'm sitting there like cutting off testicles and throwing them on the grass. And I'm just sitting there like, this is, it was kind of surreal. And I'm talking to the priest and we're like talking about like really deep, heavy things. But then he's like looking at what I'm doing and I'm discussing testicles to the priest and I'm telling him how they're going to be happy because they're not going to be sexually frustrated. And I'm like, why am I even saying that to the priest? Like, this is so weird. And it's just like, so this is where like my censoring problem comes in because I, as you can tell, like I just think he's coming. I'm thinking about these things. I'm like, I'm talking about testicles or priests. Like this is so funny. And um, so my problem is, is that whenever a conversation out in the general public like becomes stale or you know there's kind of a break in it, I sometimes have this thing where I try to like shock people into waking up a little bit and. So I often try to insert some story from my daily life, and I always find out sometimes some people appreciate it and some people find it, and some of you might be very offended right now. Some people think it's very inappropriate to be saying those words in the general public. And Eric, my husband, tends to think it's often inappropriate to talk about in general public. And I'll give you guys a or at church. <laughs> like, I do this stuff at church. I mean it's so weird. But um uh, so anyway, so I'll give you guys kind of an insider to, uh, if you're unmarried, an inside thing into uh, something, maybe just us do it. I think other married couples just do it too, but when married couples are like sitting at a dinner table and there's like a tablecloth and you think, oh, they must be holding hands under there. Like probably there's some kind of physical abuse going on because often Eric and I like, I'll find my favorite thing to do is like to pinch, you know, be saying something I don't like. And I think his favorite thing to do is when we're like at a dinner meeting with potential business clients of his, and I start blabbing on about something giant, he will often I'll get this like little squeeze in my leg that then becomes this vice grip where then I lose circulation in my leg. And like frequently. And then I of course have to retaliate. 
weight and like kicking back. And so I often think when you see these like little couples sitting next to each other, like maybe they're being kicked under the table or you don't know what's going on. Um, in fact, uh, one of my very first conversations with the senior pastor of this church, uh, the conversation got slow for a second, I don't know why, and um, I started telling him all about rectal exams and what they were and how cool they were and like how much he could feel, and he's just staring at me kind of in disbelief because I don't think anybody has dared to even say the word rectum in front of him. And the ironic thing is that was the exact conversation where he asked, uh, me if he thought if Eric and I thought we might be interested in helping out with the college career group. So it's kind of an interesting <laughs> turn of events. But anyways, all this goes to say just a little bit of who I am and how easy it would be for me to identify myself as an equine veterinarian. Pretty much all my colleagues do. Like that's their identity, that's who they are. But I will not allow myself to do that. It is not my identity. It's not the essence of who I am. Even though I have stories that kind of overflow in different areas of my life, I absolutely refuse to allow it to be anything more than a profession that I'm blessed to do. The reason I won't allow this to be my identity is because if I do, I then become a slave to it. And if anything in my life changed, if I had circumstances that changed where I can't do that any longer, then I'd be completely lost and I'd completely lose any sense of who I am because I have allowed that external thing to define me and then I become a slave to it instead of enjoying it as the blessing that it is. And additionally, if I allow myself as an equine veterinarian, and I'm sure maybe some of you can relate or know other people that their profession really defines for them who they are, when you do that, you also limit God because you're defining for yourself what you are and you're putting yourself in a box and you're not giving God any room to pull you out of that box or to do additional things for you. And I can tell you with certainty and from my life experience that if you have anything outside of God that defines who you are, you will never receive freedom in your life. You will just receive slavery. And you might not feel it now, but you will feel it at some point. And I love this topic identity, not because I have all the answers to it, but because I really have been transformed by God. And identity is a topic upon which God has given me real revelation in the past and has taught me a lot of things. But it's also a topic that's really stirring in me right now. And I think that, you know, a lot of us have real distorted views of what our identity is. And I truly believe that if we really committed deep down inside to understand what our real identity is and we live in that identity, we will live lives that are so full of peace and joy and total security. And that is something we cannot get when we put our identity in anything outside of God. And I think the other reason it's really pertinent is I think that a lot of us are in phases of transition. It's kind of an age group where life is really transitioning. I've just recently gone through a lot of the transitions that some of you are experiencing, such as you know, moving out of your parents' house, going to college, trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life, trying to figure out if this relationship's going to work or not, or not being in a relationship, but trying to find the right relationship. And your life is kind of in all these different places and moving from one to the other. And I've done all those transitions as far as, you know, I've been in my career for four years, I've graduated from graduate school, um, I've been married for seven years, 
But I, too, am facing another phase of transition in my life where we're going to be having a baby and I'm very realistic that I'm not going to be doing the equine vet thing for a while. And it's such a great reminder to myself that I'm still going to be the same person. You know, even, you know, I don't know, the baby's going to be like four and a half months or something. In like four months, you know, I'm going to be the same person that I am today. I'll just be doing something different. And I just, when you know your identity, when you truly know who you are, everything around you can change. Everything around you can change. But you will stay totally rooted in joy and peace. And that is an awesome sense to live in. And that's where I want to live. So I'm in this transition, and I'm also kind of working through, okay, that's not who I am. This is who God says I am. This is who he promises who I am. And so I know even going this transition, I'm still the same person. Hormones or not. Um, equine veterinary or not. Um, I didn't start learning about identity and its importance until four years ago. I Just a little background, I grew up um, not too far from here in the Napa Valley. I had a great um, childhood as far as all the material things. I got a lot of opportunities. Um, I moved to Santa Barbara where I went to Westmont College where I met Eric. Yes, <laughs> he got me on my way out. <laughs> it was senior year, we started dating. And, um, and then I went on to vet school. And I kind of want to take this opportunity, this is like a little bit of a tangent, to uh, grab a soapbox and drag it over because, and get on it because Eric can't take away my mic. Um, not yet, at least. Um, but I just want to say something about for those of you that are kind of in that phase where you don't know what you want to do for a living, and you don't know what you want to do for your career, and you keep changing your mind, or you feel like everybody has it figured out, and you don't. Here's the bottom line. Some people just know a certainty what they want to do with their life. And they just seem to come out of the womb, I'm going to be an engineer, I'm going to be a cosmetologist, or I'm going to be a lawyer, I'm going to be a teacher, and they just know for certainty. And some people don't. Well, if you're in the category that doesn't know for sure what you want to do with your living, that doesn't mean that God loves you less, or that you are less important, or that he has anything less important for you to do. It's just kind of how it works sometimes. And so I just kind of wanted to speak to you guys um, just my journey was kind of, I didn't always know what I wanted to do, and I never, I don't think I ever really got to the point until I got into my career where I thought, oh, this is why God wanted me to do all this. Um, every journey is different. Mine is that when I was in school, I was a good student. Um, I just kind of looked at everything really analytically as far as, well, I like most of my science classes more than my history classes, so I'm going to lean towards science, but I didn't even like all my science classes. I liked horses, I liked to read, I kind of played around with maybe vet school, but I wasn't sure. I went to college and I just kind of majored in the things I liked, which were um, biology and Spanish. And um, I really went back and forth as to if I was going to go to vet school and I kind of had these you know, college moments where people are more important than animals and you know these deep things I was pondering. And I ended up uh, applying to vet school simply because it seemed like the best option of kind of the ideas I'd thrown out there. And much to some people's surprise, I did get in right away. And um, it was really hard. And for those of you that con are considering a career that requires uh, graduate school or requires um, additional college work, here's my recommendations. Get started as soon as you can, because the longer you wait, the harder it will be, I promise. Once you're in, know several things. 
that at some point, or at multiple points, you will hate it, you will be discouraged, you will be tempted to quit or to take a break, you will doubt yourself, and it will be hard, and you might even look for ways to think that this is so hard, God must not really have this for me, and try to find ways to get out. And that is not how God works. And you have to kind of go in with the mentality of this is what might happen in my mind when I'm in it. And you have to just persevere and get through it. I uh, cried a lot in vet school. And it was really hard. And Eric was really lucky to be married to me while I was in it. And he was like, he has all kinds of stories I have to do with this thing he called um, when I went to go study. Pretty much, he called me like a bear in its cave, and like he would try to be the supportive husband, so he would try to bring me dinner, and he said he just like it was almost like he shoved like the food under the door, and like bones got thrown back at him. Like he was just kind of like it was. Let's just say we were all happy when I finished, but I'm so glad I did it, and so I'm just kind of a testimony to you guys. If you're considering do it, just do it. Put your nose to the grindstone and get through it as hard and as fast as you can, and don't take any breaks if you can help it at all. And I was talking to Eric about this earlier, and he reminded me that I really need to clarify also the kind of difference between ambition and identity, because I think it's, that's easy to confuse also, where you look at someone that's really driven for something, and you think, well, I don't want that to be my identity, being really driven for that. And I really think it's a matter of perspective and a matter of stewardship, because God has given us all specific giftings, and our identity in God is not a call to be mediocre. In fact, it's just the opposite. And if we're truly stewarding what God has given us, we're going to be ambitious. Sorry, this thing is hanging out here. Um, we're ambitious that we're going to be driven to return to God the gifts that He has given us, and that could be in all kinds of different forms. And if Graduate school happens to be a form for you. It's definitely not for everybody. Um, that is not a way. You just have to look at it. That's not my identity. That's not my idol. But this is a way of returning to God some of the gifts that he has given to me. And I wanted to steward them well. So that's kind of my little tangent. So I get through it. We all survive. I finished in spring 2007. I took the summer kind of mentally rehabbing. And I started my career in the fall. And I thought, this is awesome. This is what I've worked 20 years of school to do. Well, you know what? I wasn't happy. I became really unhappy. And I don't know if any of you guys have been in a phase in your life where you're unhappy and you don't know why. And that's where I was at, because everything on the outside said, you should be really thrilled with your life right now. And I, I wasn't. I was really unhappy. And the easiest thing to do when you feel unhappy is to blame the things that are closest to you. It's a lot easier than, you know, asking God for what you should be doing, um, you know, kind of looking at your life. It's just so much easier just to point fingers. And so, of course, I did the easiest route because there's a little bit of laziness in me. And I wasn't happy, and so I started blaming all the things around me. And the closest thing to me was Eric. So I started blaming him and blaming Sacramento, blaming a lot of things for my unhappiness um, because I just was confused as to why I was unhappy. So Eric um, kind of tricked me into, well, he told me we were going to go to marriage counseling. <laughs> and I was like really excited to go because I was going to tell her all the problems with Eric <laughs> and like have her fix him so I could be happy again. And fortunately, our uh, therapist was 
definitely worth her salt. And I don't think it took a rocket scientist to figure out that, like, really, we didn't really get marriage counseling. Like, Camille needed some help in figuring out who she is. So here is a valuable nugget I'm going to give you guys that I paid over $700 to learn, and I will give to you for free tonight. So take notes. <laughs> this is hours of my tears in Kleenex boxes. What I learned, the reason for my unhappiness, is that I had a screwed up identity. And what I had done is for these last 20 years, I had completely identified myself as a student. That's who I was, that's where I got my accolades, that's where I got my perks. I was a student. And guess what? It actually worked out really well until like life happened, circumstances in my life happened that took that away from me. I was no longer a student and I completely lost any sense of who I was. And my world fell apart and I became completely miserable. And this is the danger with aligning yourself with something that doesn't align with the way that God sees you. And you become dependent on these external things for your sense of self. And that's exactly what I did. And that's what took a lot of digging for me to realize, I'm like, that's the problem. Hence the over $700 with the counseling, I figured that out. Um, so what happened at this point is all I knew is I was screwed up identity and I was lost. And my identity wasn't rooted in who God was or who he called me to be. And so what happened was then this transformation of going from an earthly mindset to a heavenly mindset. And I first thing I had to do was align myself as a daughter of the king. And we're going through Ephesians this summer, so we're still going to kind of hang out in Ephesians chapter 1. And Ephesians chapter 1, 5 says, well, I'll start with uh, verse 4 from chapter 1. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. For he chose us in him before the world was even created to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So that's an awesome verse. And so that tells us that before the world was even created, before we were even knit together, we were cooking, incubating in our mother's womb, he chose us to be his children. And so that was the number one thing that I had to kind of get into my mind, that Jesus defines me. And he doesn't change. His love never changes. The way he created me doesn't change. And he has a purpose for me that's completely unique to me. And he has a purpose for you that's unique to you, that nobody else can fulfill except for you. The awesome thing is that what that means is that anything in my life can change. My job, where I live, my friends, my family, my church, my community, essentially the world could completely collapse and I will still be who God created me to be. I'll still have the same identity. And when you have this accurate identity rooted in you, you cannot waver. You will live from a place of peace and joy because you are not a slave to anything around you. It gives you such a sense of security to know that anything can happen around me and I'm rooted in who God created to me to be. It doesn't matter what happens. So the big question is, well, I have a bunch of questions for you guys, but then I'll answer them for you. So I'll ask them, think for half a second, and I'll answer them, because I don't wait, never break some conversation. I'll say something about rectums. 
Um, so, first of all, how do you know, how do you know if your identity is not the proper identity? So how do you know if your identity isn't your identity in Christ? I didn't know, I never even thought about it, to be honest, until I became completely miserable. And so I want to save you guys some misery if I can, and let you figure out right now, how do you know if your identity is the incorrect identity, and it's not the identity line in Christ? Well, this is how I think you know. This is how a real telltale sign. It's your reactions, and how you react to things in life. Your reactions in life will totally reveal if your identity is not in him. James 1-2 says, consider it pure joy when you face trials. Don't you love that verse? When everything's really bad, you need to be really joyful. But you know what? If your identity is in Christ, it will be. Which is kind of awesome and annoying to other people that don't have their identity in Christ. Um, Colossians 3-15 says, let the peace of Christ rule. So be number one, let the peace of Christ rule rule in your hearts? Are you peaceful in your heart all the time, no matter what happens? I think, this is from Camille's book of theories, so it's not biblical necessarily, but it's my opinion, that there are three different ways that people react to things in life. We'll just do a bunch of stereotypes here. When their identity is not in Christ. So they're the overachievers. These are the type A perfectionists. These are the people that try to control their life to the smallest minutiae and want everything to be their definition of perfect. So these are the ones that you get an A- on a test, you have a nervous breakdown. He's not proposing, you're freaking out on the phone to everybody you know, why is the freaking ring on my finger? You, everything in your life has to be controlled, and if it doesn't go the way you want it, you have a complete meltdown. I know none of you are like that, but you might know somebody that's like that. Then there's the other end. These are the classic underachievers, the people that define themselves, very sadly, define themselves as kind of lose the losers. You know, it's like maybe the person that, uh, he was never a good student, we don't really expect much of him. We have one of those in my family, my, it's sad, my youngest brother was always kind of like the dumb one of all of us, and like my parents even kind of said, oh, he's got a learning disability, and so like his whole life was kind of like pampered around, like we won't have as high of expectations for him. And so his bar, and the bars of people in the underachieving class, get set really low. So you're not disappointed with anything, you don't have any standards or expectations, and you don't, and these are people that have lack a lot of joy in their life. So when anything good happens to them, they don't feel like they deserve it. And that's kind of how they approach life. Like, well, something bad happened, whatever, I deserve that. Oh, something good happened, I don't deserve that. These are kind of the joyless. And then there's a third group, which I think kind of applies to a lot of people I know. And those are the middle of the road people. And those are people that don't want any waves in their life. And they want their life to be really predictable. They want to kind of minimize trials. It's just easier to stay in like the so-so job. It's easier to be in the so-so relationship. Like it's not a great relationship, but you know, I guess it could be worse. Maybe it could be better, but that would be a lot of work to get better. And what if I don't find anything better? So I better not break up with him because if I don't find anything better, I'll be by myself. I'd rather be with him than be by myself. You know, and like, right? Like, I know all of you women have had that go through your mind because I know you have. Anyways. Um, and then there's 
like the job, and like my job sucks, but what if I can't find another job, it's a bad economy, and so I'm just going to stay in a second job, and I'm not going to do anything to try to get out of it. And these are the people that just kind of avoid trials. And so these are the people that want to keep life really predictable, really safe, and they'll just stay where they are um, because it's easier. Well, here's the deal. When you are living an authentic identity in Christ, your responses to trials will be the fruits of the Spirit. It's very clear in the Bible that when trials come in your life, the fruits of the Spirit is what's going to come out of you because you're rooted in Christ. And for those of you that need a refresher on the fruits of the Spirit, they're in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22-23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those will be your reactions when trials come in your life. And those will be your reactions when you kind of see something that needs to change in your life. You have the fruit of the Spirit come out of you. So, have you figured out yet if your identity is not your identity in Christ? I know I was kind of doing this. I was like, oh, I need to get a little back on track here. Um, so the second question is, what's, what's missed in your life when your identity is not in Christ? What do you miss out on? I mean, when I was a student, like... That was my identity, but life was okay because I was a student. So I didn't know what I was missing out on. Well, this is what you miss out on. It's kind of a big deal. You miss out on God's anointing. God's not going to give anointing to someone whose identity is not Him. He can't be intimate with someone who does not have their identity in Him. He can't give revelation to someone whose identity is not in Him. Because if you're creating your own identity, you're limiting yourself. It's not that God doesn't want to anoint you, but you're taking yourself away from him. You're putting yourself in a box and saying, hey God, this is who I am. And that doesn't give him any access. And it doesn't give him much access, I'll tell you that much. And so that should be enough to kind of want to push you guys, gosh, to have God's anointing in your life. You want to do everything you can to get that. And you want to do everything you can to have your identity in him. So then, okay, we know what we're missing. We know what happens when our identity is not in Christ. But what are you sacrificing? Let's get a little selfish here for a second. What are you sacrificing when you make your identity other than God? What are you sacrificing? Well, remember when I said I was unhappy and I didn't know why? And I later learned that it was because I had kind of a screwed up identity. You sacrifice at some point, if your identity is not God, you're going to sacrifice happiness, contentment, peace, joy. When we become dependent on the things around us and we become dependent on our circumstances, this leads to a life of instability because it's totally dependent on all these shifting things around us. So it leads to a life of instability, which then leads to unrest within us because there's something deep in your soul that can sense that you're dependent on all these unstable things. And that ultimately, at some point, leads to unhappiness. It might be immediate, it might be later, but it does lead to unhappiness. So, when we're identities outside of Christ, we're choosing to live as slaves, we're not choosing to live in freedom with Him. We become dependent on the things around us, dependent on our circumstances. This becomes a life of instability, becomes a life of unrest, and ultimately becomes a life of unhappiness. So it's kind of a lot to sacrifice. And I'll tell you from being there and doing that, it's totally true. So then, how do you change your identity? If you're sitting there going, okay, well, obviously my identity's not in the right place. How do I even change it? How do I even go about it? Well, in Ephesians, 
what I just read here, it talks about how before the world was created, so before we had oceans, before we had skies, before we even had this entire planet, God created us and he made our identity. And we become, I truly believe that we become our identity in Christ, and we start living our identity in Christ when we start removing our false identities. Because when you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes into you when you ask God into your heart. And he becomes your foundation, and he is living within you. But then what we do as humanity, as people, is we start layering all these things on top of it. And then we start looking at those layers as who we are. And we start using those to define ourselves. So I really believe that when you're a Christian, but when your identity is in the wrong place, you need to get to a point of peeling back those layers and those false identities. And that's what it was for me. So first it was recognizing the things in which I had placed my hope and identity falsely. So for me at the time, it was placing my hope and identity in being a student. That was a huge layer. I had to rip off. Okay, so I ripped it off. Well, then the next step is really learning who God created me to be. And God created you to be this person that whether you're here in Sacramento, Capital Christian, or whether you're on a remote island in some hut with not a soul in sight, you are still the same person that he created you to be. Even without your job, without your family, without your friends, without your church, without your community, without anything, you are still the same person. So who is that? Who did God create you to be? Well, he gives us some general things in the Bible, but we're also all unique people, and he created us to be completely unique. And so for me, what it took was kind of getting back to, okay, who am I? What do I love to do? What are the things that God has gifted me with? Well, I like to read. So even if I'm on an island, or even if I'm here, I like to read. I like to talk too much. So I'll probably be talking to a palm tree if I'm by myself, but I would still be talking, you know? Like, who am I? Who, who is Camille? Who did God create me to be? And I'm someone that I learned, I like to learn, and I like to teach, and I like to, you know, blah, 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 drive people crazy, but that's probably not from God. But anyways, so that's what it is. So first you got to look at your life and go, what is replacing God right now? Or, or I, what is defining me? Is it my job? Is it being the popular person? Is it being the nerd? Is it being kind of the outcast? And I just always look at myself as an outcast, and that's just who I am, or I'm just a weird person and I'm always weird and everyone looks at me like I'm weird so I'm just that's who I am or is it something I want to be or is it being like an extreme sport person is that how I'm the adrenaline junkie and that's how everybody looks at me and they think it's really cool so that's how I define myself what is it in your life that you're using to define yourself that's not the way God defines you peel that off and then start learning about who God created you to be some of the potential layers I was thinking about that are not your identity, your biological family is not your identity. And that's a real hard one for people to kind of sink into them because I think it's so easy for us, especially when you haven't been out of your family's home for a while, to view your family and who your family is as who you are. And that's something that was really hard for me to kind of get out from under. Um, because my family is pretty well known from where I was from, and so it was really hard for me not to just always identify myself as the daughter of my parents. That's not my identity. The school you do or do not attend is not your identity. Where you live is not your identity. These are all layers that you can rip off. And that's really how it starts. And really, like, honestly, praying and getting into the Word, it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of asking the Holy Spirit to really impress upon your soul who you are. 
to kind of give you the right perspective. It's not something you can just do with your head. You have to really take it into your soul. The last question I have is, why is knowing your identity so important for the kingdom of God? Why is you knowing your identity so important for the kingdom of God? Well, when you know your identity in Christ, it's only then that you can step into being who God created you to be. Can you listen to him? And can you step into his favor for his children? And the more your identity is rooted in him, the more you will be ready to receive his blessing and favor. That's what's so important for the kingdom, to be able to step into that blessing and favor. So um, I have someone that wants to give their testimony. Um, Amber Will, she's going to just kind of give a little testimony that really has to do with identity and kind of stuff she's been going through lately. So come on up, Amber. Hello. So I'm going to put you out of your misery now. I don't have any stories about horse rectums. <laughs> I apologize. Um, I can make some up. That probably would be good. Um, so let me give you a little background on myself. Um, I grew up in a Christian family. I um, was always very involved. And um, I was kind of like, you know, any leader in my life, any pastor, youth pastor, whatever, I was like their second-hand lady. And um, so I got to know um, the whole doing process of church like really well. I, I know how to be a Christian, and I know all the verses, and I know all the answers. And um, so I, you know, I'm going, going about my life and, um, you know, involved in all this stuff and loving life. And um, I would say probably... In the last couple of years has been a lot of transition for me, and um, and honestly, it's so crazy hearing you talk about all this stuff because I'm like, I've journaled that, I've journaled that. Oh my gosh, I've said that, I've asked that, and um, it's just confirmation that you know this is something that we all probably at some point go through or have gone through, and um, it's just so important to know who you are in Christ, and. Um, this last year is has been a really hard year for me, and I've also been married to Aaron for this last year, and it has nothing to do with that, so just clarifying that. Um, but I kind of lost who I was this last year. I have not recognized myself, and um, it's been kind of a really scary and confusing year um, because God has become, or had become, really quiet, and I was getting really frustrated and I was hating my job and I was wondering if this is where I was supposed to be and I was wondering what I was doing wrong and I was crying all the time and everything you just said and Aaron can vouch for that and I was easily angry and the fruit of the spirit was not a, a, you know something that I was seeing a lot of and the fact that I wasn't seeing it was frustrating me and just everything, I just felt like I was in this deep, dark, dark um, just like rut, pit, and I didn't know how to get out. And um, I would say a couple weeks ago, I finally, I feel like I just hit rock bottom and everything just came out. And uh, so I'd kind of just been stuffing stuff. And along with stuffing all these feelings, I was also taking 
lies and I was letting that become my reality and I was letting Satan lie to me and I was letting my own mind and my own insecurities become my identity and I was insecure and I was fearful and I wasn't social and I just wasn't myself. I literally did not know who this person was and I was starting to wonder if this was just who I was now or what was going on and it was a really scary place to be. And so I finally, I finally hit this rock bottom place and everything's just coming out and I finally like actually vocalize um, what was happening inside of me and it was kind of like oh my gosh like I didn't even acknowledge half that stuff and so it's all coming out and I finally like just made a choice that I was gonna stop feeling bad for myself and I was gonna stop listening to things that weren't true and I was gonna stop um, giving into my flesh and I was thinking about what I was going to say to tonight, this morning, and literally I was like, I, I let myself go from a daughter of the king to a slave of the king. And I was experiencing what freedom being taken away from me was like. And that's why it was so scary, because I was, I was at one point, I totally identified myself with Christ, and I was totally wrapped up with him, and he was my everything, and somehow that transpired and twisted into this thing that I had become. And um, I finally put my foot down and I said, no more, I'm, I'm gonna become that person again. I'm going to embrace the identity that, that God has given me and who he's created me to be. And it has been such a crazy couple of weeks because I literally have, have been sensing that joy return and that peace return. And I'm liking my job, and I'm liking myself again, and I'm recognizing myself, and I'm, you know, all the things that I was so scared was gone forever. It's starting to return, and I'm starting to remember what I was passionate about, and I'm starting to want to do those things again that I was like, I don't know why, but I really don't want to do this, and I didn't want to have anything to do with my piano, and that was a big thing for me for the last couple of years was a huge way that I connected with God, and so... You know that's an example but um so i finally recognized that i wasn't finding my identity in christ and i was becoming this person that was trying to pull all this stuff out of myself and i didn't have it there but if i received all that stuff from christ then i could be a joyful person and i could have peace and i could be um, supportive to the people around me and encouraging to my husband and i could be this person that i strive to be but only through christ not not of myself. Um, so I guess that's really all. That's but awesome. yeah, I totally identify with all that stuff. Thanks, Amber. Yeah. It's really crazy when you're like gonna talk about a topic and you kind of it's been stirring within you and you're thinking about it and then God really loves to then start testing people's identities and kind of bring revelation when you know, a topic is stirring. So that's been really encouraging to me. Um, I just want to end with this great verse in Daniel 11, chapter 11, verse 32. But the people who know their God, so people who have their identity of God, will display strength and take action. And I know all of us want to be viewed as strong people. And the only way you can really be a strong person and not waver when life gets crazy, because it always does at some point, 
is when your identity is in God. So that verse is, but the people who know their God will display strength and take action. That's Daniel 11.32. Awesome. Thanks, you guys. How about that, huh? Well, sweating bullets there. We probably have more terms of the biological form than maybe your entire school experience, your entire life is great. So what we're going to do is we're going to worship. We're going to conclude and just, we might do one song, we might do two, we might go for a while. I don't know. We'll see. Why don't we all stand and let's just invite the presence of the Lord here. What we want to do is we want to ask, just as, as Camille was talking about that, we start as sons and daughters of the King. Remember, before all creation. And if you think of it as almost like a cake that we like layer, different layers on. Maybe it's it's the career. Maybe it's the relationship. Maybe it's the, the money. And we begin to layer things on top of our life, and, and suddenly we have a cake that doesn't taste very good. And so what we want here as we worship is we'd like God to identify those layers in that cake and maybe take us back to the basics. And so as we worship, we're going to sing and just have your heart open and just allow Him to reveal those different things, and we pray that God would just clarify and cleanse us. So um, I'd love to do something if it's cool with you guys. I just want to invite anyone wants to come up the front. We worship here in the front, and it's been awesome. God's moving. So as I pray, if you want to come forward, we, uh, we worship forward here. Lord, we expect, God, just you to answer our call, Lord, to make us pure, to make us righteous and clean identities before you. Lord, we just repent of the ways in which we have added to the identity you've solidified and already ordained, Lord, as your word says, before the creation of the world. And Lord, we just thank you and say, yes, God, that you'd bring your peace, that you'd bring the joy, and you'd bring us back to a place of such sweet contentment. Lord, where we've been robbed of the joys of life and been robbed of the joy of our salvation, Lord, we pray that you'd bring us back to that place as we worship. Lord, that you just would speak to us, that you call us forward. Lord, for those of us who, God, feel like we are, are living a shadow life, God, a, a, a mere image of what used to be, Lord, we pray just as Jesus called forth Lazarus out of the tomb, that you would just call forward our identities. You would call forward us by name, Jesus, to be who, God, you've destined us to be. And we thank you, Lord, that all the results are on we thank you that all the, the details of that are in our hands. God, strengthen us as a community, as a body. Lord, I just ask that we minister to each other here. Lord, if there's a word or a, just something you would want to do in this place, we have the freedom to do that. We love each other. We love you, Lord. We love your presence here. So we pray that your presence is with amongst us corporately.
rest in the power of your name, Lord. We don't want to rush the moment. Um, 
guys, why don't you raise your hand if you feel like your identity kind of needs to get back on track with Christ. And if you're standing near someone or a couple of you have both of your hands raised next to each other, why don't you just take a couple minutes and pray for each other?